Hi, and welcome to Second Generation. Generation. I'm Sophia. I'm David. And I'm Hannah. In this episode, we're going to be covering colonialism, specifically focusing on the Philippines. Since the Philippines has a long history of being colonized by outside nations, talking deeper about the effects colonialism has had in the Philippines can teach us a lot about what colonialism means in a global context. But since that's such a complex issue, we decided we're not the ones who should be doing the talking. So for this episode, we're putting the focus on an interview. To unpack the complicated history of colonialism in the Philippines, we sat down with Joy Salas, who studies Filipino-American history. At the time of the interview, Joy was a PhD candidate in Northwestern's history department, and she has since earned her doctorate, so congratulations to her. Without further ado, here's Joy. I guess the most important is the fact that it has been colonized for over 500 years. First by Spain, then by the United States, and then by Japan for a short amount of time. You could say it's still considered like a neo-colony of the U.S. and now probably China. And um, what is colonialism is basically like the cause of everything (laughs) wrong that we see in society today. Um, And why did all these powers colonized the Philippines. I mean, first and foremost, they wanted resources that they couldn't find in their own, you know, countries. You know, they wanted, you know, fruit. They wanted spices. They wanted gold. They wanted all these things to enrich their empire. And it's not just the Philippines that became victim of, um, like, European colonialism and U.S. colonialism. It was basically most of the globe. And, like, colonialism and imperialism has shaped, like, the, the politics, the culture, the economy, the military relations between the Philippines and other countries. It shapes all of that. Prior to the arrival of Spain, the indigenous people in the area, now known as the Philippines, had a rich culture, some of which was erased by Spanish colonizers. The Philippines, it's an archipelago, and like Spain kind of drew an arbitrary boundary around all of them. Because it's an island country... It's comprised of, like, hundreds of different cultures. Contrary to what most, like, Western history will say about the places that was conquered, like, the Philippines and the people were, you know, explorers themselves. They traveled. They went to India, Indonesia. I mean, the reason why we have Islam in the Philippines is because people from the Middle East migrated there. So there's already a rich history of, like, travel and, like, cultural exchange um, between the islands that later became the Philippines and the rest of the world. Um, And, I mean, pre-colonial Philippine culture had amazing innovations, like the rice terraces. There was also, like, a distinct culture of, like, matriarchies um, and um, recognizing different genders that aren't just male and female. There was a lot of different things going on around the Philippine Islands before colonization. I think the Spanish, I mean, they tried to erase some of it. I mean, Catholicism is a form of domination. It was a way of destroying the communal culture, um, destroying um, matriarchal culture, as well as, um, yeah, the animistic culture. I mean, Tagalog itself is still 30% Spanish. Unlike Latin America, you know, like Spanish friars didn't teach Filipinos Spanish because they were afraid to educate them. Only the elites knew it. Um, But, I mean, the language was preserved in a way, but still, like, Spanish words were incorporated into it. Um, I mean, what makes, I think, the Philippines unique in Asia is the fact that it has been colonized for so long. Um, 
But what also ma- what makes it unique is that it's waged a lot of revolutions. And in fact, like the Philippine Revolution of 1896, the first national revolution against colonialism, was the first of its kind in Asia. So even though you know these um, systems of domination and hegemony um, brought on by Western powers are so entrenched in Philippine society, people have fought against them, people have resisted them. So um, because they recognize that there's something wrong with the system that is in place and that even when you know the foreign powers are gone i put that in air quotes their legacies are still very apparent the biggest examples like for spanish colonialism is catholicism the biggest one of the biggest examples for the us colonialism is english the fact that filipinos in a us context know english more than their Asian counterparts here. And that's not a coincidence. It's because of U.S. colonial education in the Philippines, which created a system that made English the primary language of instruction. U.S. colonization has impacted the way many Filipinos view America, which has in turn affected the mindsets of Filipino immigrants to the U.S. I mean, when the U.S. colonized the Philippines, it had this policy of benevolent assimilation. And so it cast itself as... um, you know, a more altruistic colonizer than perhaps the British or the the Spaniards. Um, And so kind of that ideology is still pretty strong. And the fact that a lot of Filipinos say that, oh, well, you know, yeah, the U.S. colonized us, but they brought us English, they brought us democracy, they brought us industry and modernity, which is not true. The people who did that were, like, Filipinos who were, like, working, who were, like, farming, who were, like, toiling under, like, U.S.-led capitalism. Those are the people that brought modernity, not the United States. And so I think there is kind of a, a reverence for the U.S., like, deferring and kind of seeing the U.S. as, like, a leader is still there. Because uh, the United States, when it was our colonizer, institutionalized the importance of assimilation. There is definitely a culture of Filipino Americans, similar to other Asian Americans, wanting to attain that kind of like well-off, almost white, but still ethnically Filipino type of lifestyle. Um, And that's definitely, I think, put on to like the children of Filipino immigrants too. Like you have to be a doctor or a nurse or whatever. Like you have to have a career because... Um, that is like a symbol of like belonging in the United States. But you know, that is, you know, the way it is for some people, but for other people, it's not. Like, there, there's also a lot of Filipinos who are trying to just survive, who are like working behind the scenes, who are like nannies or like maids um, in hotels. Um, and sometimes those people do, you know, achieve what we would call the American dream. They get papers somehow. <laughs> They sometimes, you know, they like and then move to the suburbs and then they have kids and those kids become doctors, etc. Yeah, I mean, what I'm trying to say with that is that there's like here in the US, there's for Filipinos and other Asian Americans, there's a lot of desire to, to achieve the American dream, which is fine, but at the same time, it's not what's going to create a solution to like um, legacies of colonialism and imperialism. Um, And some people don't care about those things, and some people do. So I would say that in terms of people that do care about, like, changing the system that is in place here, 
and in the Philippines. There is, a, you know, a global movement of that that was started in the Philippines in the 60s. And it's called the National Democratic Movement. And it seeks to um, attain national democracy in the Philippines, which means a sovereign nation that is led by the majority of the people. When a lot of the countries that were colonized by Britain, France, whatever, the United States became independent around the mid 20th century and had these aspirations of being like a people-led nation, there were problems of kind of the elites and government reinscribing kind of the hierarchies that were exacerbated during colonialism. But I think because of that, history, people are more aware of how that can happen. I mean, basically, the, the solution to that is not to have the same people who were in power to still be in power, like, because those people are usually the ones who collaborate with foreign powers. And so, really, they should not be in power anymore if we were to have a truly sovereign government. That's kind of the, I think, the lessons that we can take from kind of that decolonization movement is, um, you know, who's who's in power and are there are they really serving the interests of the ma- majority of the people joy thinks those looking to decolonize themselves need to be aware of the history that affects them you can't erase that history and I, in fact that history is what makes us who we are i mean the like one of my favorite filipino historians his name is renato constantino he was actually you know sympathetic to the movement for national democracy in the philippines back in the 60s his whole argument when he wrote like the first like Marxist history of the Philippines is that we wouldn't be Filipinos without this history of colonialism and imperialism and we are Filipinos because we have confronted colonialism imperialism in different ways through like armed revolution Um, but I think for Filipinos in the US you know there is a growing awareness of like the history of colonization in the Philippines I think more young people of color are seeking to decolonize themselves. And really, if we're really going to give credit, that movement was started by indigenous people here in the United States. So yes, we were colonized by the United States, and now we're living here, like in what we can say, like the belly of empire. Uh, We are also living on indigenous land. So technically, we're also settlers. Filipino Americans, as people who are here, we are relatively privileged. And when we go back to the Philippines, and like have our own like moments of trying to like find ourselves are we doing in a way that's similar to how like white people go to asia and just like find their identity or like you know or are we doing in a way that's actually like cognizant of what's going on in the philippines not romanticizing it seeing it for what it is and understanding the complicated history of this culture that we want to you know recuperate in order to feel a sense of decolonization. So I think like if you really want to decolonize, you have to be part of or at least supportive of the actual people on the ground who are actually trying to like realize their sovereignty, whether it's here in the United States or in the Philippines. Um, I think if you just kind of surface level try to decolonize yourself via just like cultural objects or representation without addressing kind of like the material conditions of why people are oppressed, you are in fact participating in neocolonialism in a way. Um, just because we're brown doesn't mean we can't invest in, you know, like neocolonialism, neo imperialism. I think. 
to decolonize is to end capitalism and imperialism, basically, and racism. So if you're not doing that, then you're not really decolonizing. Ultimately, Joy thinks knowledge of history is key to enacting positive change, both on a personal level and in terms of making an impact on the world. I'm a historian, so I'm just going to say that you got to learn your history and not from the lens of a white person, because a lot of histories of the colonized world, now decolonized world, are written by white people. So, like, don't read that, (laughs) at least not first, like read it by, you know, you know, your people first and then maybe read the white stuff, (laughs) the whitewashed stuff. And so, I mean, it's kind of like that Jose Rizal quote. No history, no self. Jose Rizal was like a nationalist hero who died protesting Spain. And so he said that not just, you know, learn history and you'll learn about your identity, but he said it in a moment of, you know, revolution. So, you know, it's a step towards not only like finding your identity, but also like actually understanding how to um, deconstruct and change what's going on in the world today. Thanks again to Joy for sitting down with us. We really appreciate the interview, and we think it was a very enlightening discussion. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you've enjoyed our episodes this quarter, or I guess our one episode. But don't worry, next year we hope to be coming back with more. Have a great summer. Our theme music was composed by Tenny Sang. This is NBN Audio.